attention, attention please. The Camp Ojibwa History Podcast is on the air. Hello and welcome to the Camp Ojibwa History Podcast. My name is Christopher Thomason. I am your host for this and many, many more trips down memory lane. The Camp Ojibwa History Podcast is a podcast dedicated to collecting the stories, the history, the memories of Camp Ojibwa for Boys in Eagle River, Wisconsin, founded 1928. Today's guest on the podcast, Mark Lebo Lieberman. Mark currently resides in Dallas, Texas. I saw him while I was on the road. We had a great time. He was a camper in the 50s and 60s. Good perspective on some of that time and some of the great guys who were there with him. You're going to love that. Also, I will will warn you ahead of time that we spend probably a solid 10 minutes talking about the NBA and not about camp, but it was somewhat relevant and we were also making predictions for things that are happening in the playoffs right now. So I left it in. I thought you guys would like that. Before we get to Lebo, quick housekeeping note on the podcast. I told you a couple episodes ago we were going to make some changes to how it's presented because of the bandwidth limits with the website. Next week's episode will not be a new episode. It's going to be a representation of a previous episode. And then the following week will be the 50th episode. With the 50th episode, there will only be the most recent 20 episodes available on the website at any given time. The ones that are released prior to those 20 are going to be made available. I'm not positive what that's going to look like yet, but uh, it's probably going to be something like a flash drive that you can buy with the episodes on it, or we might even be able to do CDs for people who don't know what's going on with that technology. So... Uh, that'll be a clearer picture, but that's what's going to happen in the next two weeks. Next week will be a representation of a classic episode so that I can get that one into the mix with the current 20. And then the following week when the 50th drops, at that point going forward, only the 20 most recent episodes of the podcast will be available on the website at any given time. That's the plan. There you got it. Okay, enough with that. As confusing as it sounds. Let's get to it. Here we go. Mark Lieberman, Lebo, on the Camp Ojibwa History Podcast. First and foremost, please state your name and years at camp. Okay, so I'm Mark Lieberman. Most people knew me as Lebo. And I was there 1956 through 1969. Excellent. Missed two years in 67, 68. Gotcha. Yep. And so how do you first hear about Camp Ojibwa? Well, my brothers brothers were uh, campers, and that's how my family knew about it. 
I was actually, uh, and my, my two older brothers, Dean and Paul, had me out on the streets playing baseball on the south side of Chicago, you know, back when I was four or five years old. So sports became like my thing. My mom and dad, at age six, sent me to a, a day camp. And the day camp had a heavy emphasis on swimming. Um, so I didn't get a lot of baseball in or, sure. or football, which were like my things that I just like to run around and water was not my thing at the time. Mm. So when they wanted to send me back to camp at age seven, you know, I put up a little bit of a fuss and very quickly they said, let's send Mark to Ojibwa, you know, it might, it, it's tailor made for him. Yeah. The brothers weren't there. So I went up to camp at age seven in 1956, all by myself on that. Trip. Oh, so were they old enough that they had already finished camp or? Uh, they just, they really went for a year or two. Gotcha. Um, and then uh, I don't know why mom and dad didn't send them back. Hmm. They just, they had other types of interests. I, I honestly don't know what the reasoning was. Um, I do know that when my brother Dean had an opportunity to go back to camp, he jumped all over it. Hmm. Um, but he went back as a counselor. He was a junior counselor and a counselor. I'm thinking it was like uh, two or three years. No, it must have been longer than that. But he, he was a junior counselor and a senior counselor in the, in the 60s. Nice. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So did you get um, a camp call? Did Al or Mickey come over and visit oh, yeah. the house? Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Al came over and set up the, the, the movie projector <laughs> in those days. And uh, yeah, I, that, was, uh, that was a no-brainer. I mean, Al was, uh, he was truly, truly, uh, I gravitated to him the minute, the minute I met him. Mm. He just absolutely was, um, he was, as, as everybody probably knows that knows Al Schwartz, you know, he was the grandfather that you always wanted to have, you know. Um, I like to tell the story, if you don't mind, my first day at camp, um, which you'll be able to tell had a a memorable effect on me. So, um, so we get up to camp and, uh, you know, after we get to the train in those days, they used to take us in the, in the, in the big red Mm. or the, or the, the green. Sure. And we used to all hop into the truck and get caravan from the train station to camp. And then I met my, you know, my cabin one. I'm the second smallest kid at camp, age seven. And um, my counselor buddy Weiss, you know, meets me at the at the trucks. Come on, Mark, I'm going to show you, you know, where you're going to be staying. Nice. And uh, yeah, he was nice as could be. And he's let me show you how to, you know, this is how we fold our clothes and put them on the shelf and get the shoelaces in 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 your shoes under the bed and. I'm going to show you how to make your bed with the hospital corners. And I'm having a great time. Like, this is all like, wow, this is so cool. You know, makes yeah. you, it's like I'm just fascinated with the whole thing. And so while we're getting getting ready, um, the bugle blows. And um, what I obviously discovered is it was time to have our first meal in the mess hall. Uh-huh. So the counselors get us all lined up according to height and tell us what we're going to have to do with, you know, when the head counselor says campers attention and arms forward length and, you know, that <laughs> whole thing. And then the, the head counselor at the time was a, obviously a legend there, Sid Novak. Sure. And um, so Sid, uh, in his instructions before going into the mess hall, he says, now counselors, he says, I want each of you to pick two children to go, two campers to go to the extra table. So Buddy, first year counselor, uh, turns to his line and, and points to the two shortest kids, which I was number two. <laughs> and he says, you and you. He says, you go to the extra table. And that that's set me back. Yeah, you know, for okay? sure. Because I didn't know what that meant. 
All I know is didn't sound good. Right. <laughs> so um, they start calling the cabins in, and they says, Sid Novak says, cabin one, you know, and, and everybody starts marching into the mess hall, and I, I don't move. I sit down. And Buddy says, what's wrong? And he said, and I said, I don't want to go to the extra table. I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not doing that. And so he's trying to, you know, pick me up and sure. I'm, I'm having none of it. And so now the entire, you know, I'm having my little scene over at cabin one and, um, uh, everybody's moved into the mess hall. And so, uh, Al sees, sees something's going on. So Al walks over and he says, uh, Buddy, what seems to be the problem? And Buddy says, "Well, Mark, Mark doesn't want to go to the, Mark doesn't want to go to the extra table." Mm. And Al, in in his inimitable way, starts shaking his head, and he starts saying, "Mark," he says, "I just don't know what's wrong with everyone. I cannot tell you how many times I tell him over and over and over again, it is not the extra table." And I look up, and he says. It's the special table. Now I stop crying. And I'm all ears. And he says, do you know what makes it special? And I said, no. And he says, every day for the next eight weeks, you're going to be sitting at the mess hall, having a meal with your cabin every single day, three times a day. And he says, but every so often, you're going to get to go to another table and meet other campers who are going to not be in your cabin and you get to make new friends and meet new people that will allow you to have a much better time at camp. And he says, but besides that, he says, do you have any idea some of the people that have sat at that extra table, <laughs> at the special table? And I said, no. And he says, last week, Ted Williams was there. And he says, and the week before that, it was Mickey Mantle. And I know this is hard to believe. He says, but last month, you'll never believe who sat at the special table. He said, President Eisenhower. <laughs> and he says, so I want to just let you know that when you go to this table, you'll never know who might be sitting next to you. It could be anybody. And he says, now, does that sound like something you might want to do? And I said, absolutely. Wow. <laughs> and I went running up. I spent the next eight weeks telling, going up to my counselor saying, can I go to the special table? Can I go to the special table? That's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> Al Schwartz was, you know, he, he was he was the father of everybody at camp. Yeah. I mean, just absolutely. When you're there as a camper, do you get to have a lot of time with Al? Or, I mean, like in that time frame, is he, do you have sort of a one-on-one with him very often? Or is it more like in a bigger picture way? It was both. Mm. It was both. I mean, Al's presence was felt every single day with Dipper Shower in those days. Sure. So, you know, for in a group setting, there was always some. <laughs> Not only the physical exercise, but there was always going to be some message. It's a beautiful day at Camp Ojibwe. Mm. Or, you know, I look at all this stuff on the sand, you know, and who's putting it there? Sure. And he always had some sort of, you know, uh, lesson to teach us, you know, in a group setting. And yet he always made it, um, I don't know if it was daily, but it was pretty often that he would make a, a trip into the cabin, mm. you know, to see what was going on. So. He was in constant, um, in constant contact with campers, and in my case, um, as the years went by, um, I always felt like I was kind of a favorite of of the of the head staff. Mm. You know, they always made me feel as a favorite. So lots of times, I, I actually did have plenty of uh, 
uh, alone time with him. But it was, you know, it was on his. I wasn't going out and seeking out Al because I was right. too busy having fun at camp. <laughs> right, of course. But, there, but um, what did transpire? I became a pretty, uh, a pretty good tennis player. I, I was a tennis champ at ten, at at Ojibwe for a long, long time. Nice. And so Pearl and Al would invite me out. At, 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 I, 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 I was one of those chosen not to have to do rest period every day. Right. Where they would call me out and they'd want me to play tennis with them. Uh, and that went on for years until I was too good for them. And then they stopped calling me. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> Which was really nice. Is, is Molly still there at that time? Molly Baum? Yes, I played with so Molly. So you playing with Molly as well? I, yes, I played with Molly. I, I wound up playing a lot. When Henry, her husband, uh, his knees couldn't make it anymore. Mm. That's kind of, for a while I was just spelling him. And then it was like I became the fourth. Nice. And, uh, yeah, and then over time, Reva and Sandy, you know, became the new, right, of course. The new people to play with. So I, I spent years, years there as uh, the tennis king. That's awesome. Now, were you, uh, so you liked sports going into camp. Yes. So you already were ready to go. So athletics-wise at camp, yeah. you were pretty good. I was a good athlete. Excellent. I was good athlete. Outside of tennis, what were the things you really loved? So, you know, one of the things I liked about camp is, as I described to you, um, as I described uh, about day camp and not liking water. Mm. And, of course, water was a big deal at Ojibwe as well. Sure. So that was a transition for me, um, but also a challenge, you know. And, again, I, I'll, give, uh, I'll give Al, you know, a lot, of, a lot of credit for that because when I got to camp, it was like, okay, I can see there's going to be a lot of water here, and I'm not a big water guy. I like playing baseball and soccer and football and, yeah. you know, and whatnot as a little kid. But clearly, my competitive spirit said, I better learn this water thing. So my first year in cabin one, I did not learn how to swim. Mm. But I did want to be able to participate. So when there was general swim and everybody was going, I would go and mess around in the shallow end where they would let me. And I would listen to the swim lessons. And it became a little bit more, by the time the season was over, I was able to swim, but not anything like appear to me looked like a thousand miles sure so it wasn't something that i was prepared to do but it had set me up they had given me the basics to say okay now by cabin two you could go do that nice so the incentive so it's really kind of funny um i had a nobody's ever going to remember this counselor except me because he was a one year a one and done counselor in cabin two his name was barry zimmerman i don't know if anybody will remember him, hmm. but he made a he made a huge impact on my life because uh, he came to me, and, and we had, at Cabin 2, you probably got, like, one time to go play tennis. And so right. we had, like, instruction for tennis, like, in the first or second week. And it seemed like a pretty cool deal. I never even knew what tennis was. Hmm. And so he, he was the tennis instructor, and he saw that I had some pretty good athletic ability. So he started taking me out to hit tennis balls and teach me how to play tennis, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, and then he said to me, he says, you know, he says, I'm going to make you a really good tennis player, but I need your help. And I said, what's that? He says, before I make you a good tennis player, you have to promise me that you're going to pass your four-peer test. And he says, when you finish the four-peer test, I will take you out at rest period every day. Okay. And wow. We'll, and we'll go play tennis. Well, shoot. <laughs> extra, extra hour and a half for the day for a, for a, a, an eight year old. Yeah, you know, so uh, so that was so I quickly, you know, within two weeks I had the four tier done, you know, and then I became the tennis player, and then and I never looked back. Nice. So uh, yeah. 
And for those who are listening in modern day, the four pier is effectively going from one side of the catwalk across back and back, correct? That's right. It's like a four. So you're, you're four touching pier. four times, yeah, right? Back and forth twice. Yeah. Now, did you guys still do the island swims at that point? We did. We did. And it took me a long time <laughs> to, get, to get it done. But surely it was one of those challenges. It's like, okay, you know, so what everybody else is doing and I'm not going to let behind. So, yeah. you know, swim was always a, always one of those struggles for me. I mean, I, I you know, I wasn't, I, I liked row boating. I loved the, when we finally got to be older, you know, went on a three-day canoe trip. Mm. I don't know if they still do that, but mm -hmm. that was like one of my favorite times, you know. Yeah. Really just awesome. So, uh, I, but camp, you know, for me, where else was I going to learn how to shoot with a bow and arrow? You know, right. riflery, <laughs> box hockey, you know, I could go do chin-ups if I wanted to. Sure. It's like, it was a smorgasbord of sports that, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't get enough. You know, yeah. I just couldn't get enough. So I, I would do anything and everything. And then of course, by high school, you know, I tennis and basketball and softball and football mm. became my things but i enjoyed soccer at the time i, I liked it all nice and then and 16 inch softball of course right it's because chicago course. of course yeah, absolutely yeah. tell me a little bit about the cabin experience you talked about buddy wise are there other guys like counselor wise that really stick out for you that you had good connections with well uh i have to think about that yeah i, I remember i remember them all and they all uh, make good impacts of, uh, with me um of course, the ones that I uh, I do remember, I, I don't know if the names mean anything. I mean, I do. Elliot, of course, uh, Elliot was my counselor when I was in cabin 13. And, uh, <laughs> and as most of you that are listening probably know, you know, he's, he's an unforgettable person, you know, who, in my opinion, has made a tremendous uh, impact on anyone that's met him. Yeah. yeah. And he's, he's one of a kind, you know, with, with a heart of gold. And, uh, and and just a, a wonderful teacher of life, you know, and uh, maybe not as understood as maybe he should be, hmm. you know, and, and many times uh, it could be exasperating. Certainly. You know, but uh, but I always felt that Elliot always had my best interests in heart. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, he's, he's always been a favorite. Uh, Marty uh, Salzman was another one who uh, uh, was in Kevin 13 and... Uh, had nothing but wonderful thoughts. The Mall brothers, Jay and Neil, were, were counselors and junior counselors of mine. Great role models because I was an athlete. You know, mm. they were two of the best athletes that ever were. Um, you know, and then of course, the, uh, Dennis, you know, I remember Dennis when he was a cabin one counselor. He became a cabin one counselor, and I was, and I had uh, plenty of contact with him because mm. I was in cabin six at the time Dennis was there, and my younger brother Mitchell wound up in cabin one oh, mid camp. There you go. So I, I ran into Dennis a lot, and and always was puzzled like, how did he get from cabin one to waterfront director the next year? <laughs> and, then, and then one year later he was head counselor. It's like wow, that's really. What, what's that all about? I had no idea as a little, as a little camper, but I thought, wow, oh, he must be somebody I should know. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and then obviously was employed by Dennis as a junior counselor and as a counselor. Yeah. And so he was my boss. And, uh, again, just a, a role model. You could you just couldn't ask for better role models, mm. you know, than Camp Ojibwa's counselors. I had, I literally had, I can't think of any counselor that I would have ill feelings toward and say he was a jerk or, he doesn't know he should he shouldn't have been there. Yeah, I I think that uh, whether it was Al or Mickey or Dennis, whoever was doing the hiring, they do a terrific job of finding the right people. 
Yeah, for sure. Uh, you were just talking about Elliot, and I think you framed him beautifully. I think that really speaks to who Elliot is and why he's special and important to camp. But before we got on the mics, you told me another story about Elliot. Um, and definitely, you know, this is a time period. I have been a co-counselor with Elliot for a decade. I, you know, he's been, we've shared an office for 15 years, you know. Um, but to get stories about his childhood, that's yes. rare. So tell, uh, if so, you wouldn't uh, mind. So, yeah, so Elliot, if you're listening, <laughs> I, I'll let you tell your story after I tell mine. <laughs> so I, I'm a big shot on the train because I'm eight years old now and I'm in my second year. And they put me in an upper berth. And um, this is on the way to camp. This is on the way to camp. My second year, 1957. And uh, up jumps after I I just pop into the to the berth, and up pops this big guy. You know, I mean, I'm like eight years old, and this guy is 12 years old. Mm. And he jumps in and says, "Hey, I'm Elliot." (laughs) (laughs) And I said, "Hey, I'm Mark." And so uh, he said, nice to meet you. And I said, nice to meet you. He says, and he says, this is my first time I've ever been, I, I, I've ever been away. And mm. I said, oh. And he, I, he says, how about you? And I said, oh, I was here last year. And he says, really? And I said, yeah. He says, well, that's really comforting. He says, because I'm a little scared. And I said, you don't have anything to be scared about. I said, it's going to be a great, great season. You're going to love being at camp. There's just nothing not to like. And so he kind of went at ease. And then, you know, no sooner than that, you know, Elliot popped out of the berth and started walking around. The next thing I know, he was jumping back in, scared to death again because people were picking on him. Sure. <laughs> and I said, don't worry about it. They'll get to know you. By the time he got to, by the time we got to camp, you know, it probably took about a week to 10 days, almost every day in the first week to 10 days, there was Elliot in cab. I'm in cabin two. Elliot was in cabin seven. Mm. But... There wasn't a day in that first week to 10 days that Elliot wasn't stopping at cabin two to say, hey, Mark, what's going on? Because he found me to be a little bit of a relief and uh, yeah. could hold, hold on to my coattails. <laughs> That's <laughs> so, fantastic. So, but it wasn't long before Elliot became the mentor and I became the mentee. Yeah. And, uh, and that really, I mean, that speaks to what Ojibwe is. Like the fact that you were eight and he was 12. Right. I mean, you're and, a little kid, to, especially to a 12-year-old. Oh, he's all big and tough. But, exactly. But you were saving the day for him, and, and no yes. one thinks twice about that. Yeah, and, and yes. And by the time he had gotten his own wings and he was comfortable and, and, and obviously has is made Camp Ojibwe his life, yeah. you know, by that time, you know, it was like I, I was always doing the seeking out saying, hey, Elliot, you got time for me today? <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. Were you, uh, uh, were you a brave I was brave, and I was chief. I was uh, I'm ah. proud to say I was I was the chief. I was mayor of Kevin fourteen, Kevin thirteen. I get them mixed up now because I'm right. fourteen. Uh, Kevin thirteen uh, was mayor. You know, chief of the Braves. First pick in collegiate week, three years in a row. Not too shabby. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah not too bad. Yeah. You know. um, Tell me about the Braves experience a little bit first. Um, you know, I. I my recollection was it was a little scary as a, as a little camper. You know, they pull us out at the, you know, they always scare us with those pom-pom drums. And, <laughs> you know, the next thing I know, we're at some fire with people all dressed up. And as a little camper, it's like, this is a little spooky. Mm-hmm. You know, but then, uh, you know, by the time it became, I was old enough to become a neophyte. Um, you know, it's like, okay, well, I want to do this just like everyone else. And, um, you know, 
it was uh, it was maybe one of the first organizations that I ever became a part of. I guess would be sure to say it. And so, uh, you know, gave me a little bit of uh, what fraternity life might look like uh, as I wound up into something like that in, in high school and college. Yeah, and those days the initiation process was a little tougher than, little than these days. But more, yeah, hazing that, that wouldn't be appropriate in, in today's yeah. era, but still something that, that it never really bothered me. Yeah. And, and, and honestly, my recollection, I never, even when I was in college at the University of Wisconsin and, uh, and was president there to toot my own whistle, um, you know, I was never into the hazing portion of it. Mm. And, and my recollection, I was... I'm trying to remember. I would be chief what when I was 1964, 1965. You know, my attitude was like, let's tone it down. If I get any say in it, yeah. You know, if if the chief of the phrase gets to say, hey, but we don't have to, we don't have to do a lot of that stuff that happened to us. Yeah, and I think I think it was. I think there was a run of guys who sort of had that that changing attitude because yes. it was the 60s too. A lot yes. of that it sort was, of attitude was changing. Was. Yeah, and, and socially. I, yeah, and I heavily did that. I mean, I was. 1966, I guess, I went to college. 66, 67, I went to college, and when, and the hazing was just way worse than I would have wanted it to be. And I became president my sophomore year in college. And, uh, and I, you know, I, in fact, Bert Gutterman was the treasurer, and I was the president, and we put a stop to it at, at AEPI at Wisconsin. We said, hey, none of, that sh- none of that shit's going on anymore. Nice. We're just done. You know, now I don't know what happened after me. But, sure, yeah. but that's how you do it. You yeah, know, that, that was just you know, one step in the right direction, then yeah. someone else will follow up. And... Yeah, I'm kind of a nonviolent guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you mentioned Bert D- Gutterman, um, and that's Duke Gutterman, yeah. uh, if you see the name on the plaques. So you said he was one of your good friends at camp. Talk to me about some of the friends you made and some of the friends you might still have from camp. Yeah, so, you know, one of the things that's really cool about camp, just like we talked about when you started this podcast, before we got before we got uh, on, you know how you can make a connection so quickly just by saying Camp Ojibwa. I mean, it, for me, I there are people that I will connect with that went to Camp Ojibwa, and it could go years and years and never see them. You know, you by the time you're 67 years old, and yet when you're thrown back into them, it's like it happened yesterday. So yeah. when I consider friends, to give you an example, I I was invited back in 2009 or 2010, I can't be sure. There's a group of guys that I know you all know uh, that come back there every year, and they were my counselors and, and uh, campers with me, but most, mostly counselors, and Bernie Kerman and George Kerman and Ron Brody and, yeah. and, uh, and Stu's dad, Dizzy Mitzkin. Mm-hmm. And, we call uh, them the boys of summer or the old timers. boys of summer, yep. And they were my contemporaries. And um, um, I hadn't seen any of those guys in 40 years. Absolutely, in 40 years. Um, but I had an opportunity to shoot an email to one of them, you know, in a high school reunion thing with George Kerman, actually. And from that, um, I got invited to the Boys of Summer. And I was like, you know, so I consider them friends to this day. Yeah, you know? for sure. I mean, I feel like I could, I could reach out to them at any time. Um, I grew up with Bert Gutterman. Larry Heyman is another one. I haven't seen – Larry and I will connect every 10 or 15 years – you know, he was a client of mine for a number of years. Uh, lost touch with him right now, and actually trying to reconnect with him uh, uh, as we speak. But uh, Larry and Mickey were, you know, good friends of mine uh, up at camp. Um, you know, and and 
like I say, I, I have no doubt that all I have to do is shoot an email to somebody or I'm not a Facebook guy, but if I can connect with them, I know they, they come right back into my life. Yeah. Awesome. So you go through camp and then you're the mayor of 13. Yep. You're the, you're the, what we lovingly refer to now as the one, one. So the first pick of the first round, yeah. three years in a row. And Chief of the Bears. It's really quite... Uh, now, I was a 1-1 one, one only last year. Oh, I see. I was I the first pick. I see. I was like uh, a sixth pick of the, and then the fourth pick and then gotcha. got to the first pick. Excellent. Now, did you uh, did you win Collegiate Week at any point? I didn't. And it's the one... It's the one... <laughs> tarnish on my Campo Jibla record. I have tons of trophies, tons of gold medals. <laughs> I mean, I did it all. I was in... Uh, I did... I mean, I did uh, the minstrel show back when it oh, sure. was going on. I did the chorus lines. I was always active in, in, in the theater type stuff. I mean, I did it. I did it all. wasn't big in arts and craft. But, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I, I did it all. But the one, I mean, it was heartbreaking. Not only did I not finish in first place, but I didn't even get a trophy for second place. Wow. In my entire, and I finished in third place about four times. I mean, it was, and, and tears because I left it all out on the field. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I left it all out. On the field. <laughs> you know, and then inevitably I'd be in the running, and then it would be like either the obstacle race or the voting on stunt night. It's like, so some judge. Gave me fifth place instead of second place, and that cost me. <laughs> that yeah, was it. That's so all that, it takes. That's the way it worked. Yeah. So I did learn to be a good loser. Mm. <laughs> it wasn't something that came real natural to me. Sure. Um, but I will say, you know, again, I mean, when I look at my life and who Mark Lieberman is to this day, you know, what what made me who I am, you know, uh, learning the lessons that Camp Ojibwa taught about sportsmanship and com- competition, you know, just. It, it it basically makes you who you are. Yeah. You know? and so, um, For sure. Yeah. Talking about, you just mentioned several things, uh, the minstrel show, stunt nights, the chorus. So I've talked to a lot of guys about this idea that while Camp Ojibwe is a sports camp, and even as I said, I brought, brought you know, I came in and I was like, oh my God, it's a sports right. camp. There is this entertainment side that's Absolutely. always been a big part of camp. Huge. It's not what we advertise, no. but it just is. No. So tell me a little bit about those experiences and, and yeah. what you things maybe you remember real specifically or really enjoyed. Yeah, what were the guys called that did the hand routine? The end men. That was the high, one of the highlights of my Campo Jibble life. Wow. Was getting to be an end man. It was like, you know, that was like, that was it. You know, if you sure. were in the world of entertainment... You know, you wanted to be an end man at the end, <laughs> at the end of the day. Right. So, and you are you would have been finishing up being a camper right as the minstrel show went away. Yes. Yeah, so you yes. would have been and like one of the last... A, I'm thinking there was a... Well, I guess do they still do the end... Are you still doing the end man? We still do a version not, of the hand routine. But not black faces. Certain, no, certainly not. Certainly not. And that's what I sort of remember is that uh, by the time I was an end man, I don't recall that they actually put blackface on me. Because that would have been the mid-60s. It would have been... Yeah. Right at the time it was changing. That makes sense. So that would make sense that you were so, in the la- you were in those first in men without blackface. Without blackface, that's right. That's right. And yeah. That, yeah. So that that's that was you know the pinnacle for me. In, in the, yeah, for sure. Yeah. That show. I mean the. the the Minstrel Show was legendary. Yeah. And we've talked a lot about on Aaron, you know, obviously you and I are just talking for the first time, but we've talked a lot about 
its place in time and obviously it was time for it to go and Absolutely. I mean whether you, you like it or not they're like this legacy the music and take out the words yeah so we still or do it new words right right exactly so we still do it but it's it has become it's become a much it's different time. thing yeah, I mean, you gotta go with the times that's it that's you know, it the times we're living in but the, that's sort of that's really the, 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 the story about Camp Ojibwa when you take a look from 1928 to 2015 and watch the transition that has occurred. Mm-hmm. And one of the one of the lasting memories I will I will always remember. So I go back with the boys this summer in 2010. Now, I haven't been to camp since 1970-ish. Okay. Nice. I think I went back maybe once in between. And now I see the camp, and the camp looks very similar. Right. Okay, very, very little it's the normal upgrades that you would expect, but the cabins look the same and you know, people are acting pretty much the same. <laughs> um, but clearly there's a, um, uh, and, I, and I give uh, Dennis and Elliot and whoever else is involved in, in toning down the competition because clearly, um, you know, as an adult and having friends in the Chicagoland area, you know, if you said you were Camp Ojibwe, you know, they, they immediately sized you up as like competition freak. You know, yes. Way too, you know, way too competitive for me to send my kids there, you know, that kind of thing. And so I, I give them a, a tremendous amount of credit to have adjusted in the competitiveness that went on. So I saw a much healthier, I would call it, um, environment for, for, the, for the campers at Ojibwa. And yet the boys of summer are there on a weekend where there's camp competition. And so the camp competition, again, it looks very toned down. Mm-hmm. You know, we're actually shaking hands with the other guys. <laughs> right. You know, it's all going just really kind of pleasant, you know. And, and I think it was a Saturday night and after state night, you know, Dennis announces, you know, now those campers that are in cabin nine or above, you know, you get to come out and watch the counselors play the counselors of the other camp, mm. you know, on, on the new basketball court after taps. And I thought, oh, that's pretty cool. So now I so I kind of stroll out to watch this the counselors playing the counselors. Now that was back to, the, back to my era <laughs> right. watching this. As I watched Elliot actually was was the uh, was, was one the, of the officials uh, the referee. Oh, yeah, one of the referees, and, and was lucky to like I, I don't know how he showed his face the next day because he put the game into double overtime twice. <laughs> well, Dennis is saying, Elliot, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> And I thought, yeah, well, there's still some hard habits that are, are, are tough to yeah, die. For sure. You know, and, and surely enough, the next day, you know, Dennis was able to announce the camp in the morning. He, you know, we did prevail. <laughs> you know? And there was that, that competitive spirit that still uh, still exists. Yeah, I mean, we, we it's definitely been toned down, even just in my time there. It's definitely toned down. And part of it is, too, that... Um, Specialty camps now take away a lot of our, of the premier athletes. You don't get a kid who's a you premier know. athlete to stay through camp That's because right. they have to go do specialty camp for whatever. If they have to specialize at such a young age. In yeah. fact, as I send my grandson, who's a really good baseball player, to camp, I'm sitting there thinking, oh, I hope my daughter and son-in-law don't mind this because yeah, I hope he doesn't fall behind, you know, because right. he's taking eight weeks off of summer to, to go play all the other sports, which he will love doing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really tough, I mean, it's tough for us because, you know, again, you want to make sure the camper has a great time. You also don't, like you said, you don't want to take a, get them set up behind because they are not able to go progress in their athletics and their specialty field. (laughs) Um, So it leaves us a lot of times with maybe the whole level of athletics is down a little, but I think it's the same with all the camps. So when we play whatever camp horseshoe, let's say, uh, which is a competitor, 
we still very proudly announce at the end of the day we went twenty seven and two today or whatever. Like, of course. And the, and the teams that lost those two games, yeah, you have yeah, to sleep yeah, outside yeah, the cabin yeah. tonight. <laughs> yeah. But everyone else is fine. But when we, you know, but when I went to camp and the competition, I, I like to tell people my recollection was the the the, the competition started the minute you the minute you opened your eyes. You know, it became who had the, the, the best line, who could get out of the cabin for dipper shower in the best line. You know, everything along the way, getting the highest score, cleaning up your cabin. You know, the instruction that was every, you know, you can go or you can do this. Mm-hmm. Everything was based on showing as much excellence as you could. Right. Every, all, everything. All, every step of the way, who had the quietest table to leave the mess hall. Mm-hmm. You know, who was good, you, you know, who was behaving at rest period. It just went on and on and on so that all the way to bedtime. And the rewards were always, you know, I mean, my favorite stuff at camp was, you know, um, getting a trip to go to town. Mm, you know, sure. That was, a, that was a huge, like, huge deal. Um, counselors bringing you a milkshake after camp. Oh, that's big. Know, after that was, lights out, know, yeah. Yeah, getting an opportunity to go to the, to the uh, counselor's lodge, you know, after taps, you know, those were like, Big deals when yeah, you were a kid. For sure. Yeah. When you would go to town, what, what did that look like? What kind of things would you do? Well, Where did you go? My friend Duke was reminding I said, what do you remember about camp? He said, I remember you kissing out of Governor Kerner's daughter one night. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I'm glad you remember that because I'm not sure I do. But he said, no, he says, don't you remember? He says, we all went drinking one night and we were all trying to pick up girls as we were counselors at camp. And he says... And he says, and you were the lucky one. He says, we were all, you know, we were all kind of going up to, to the governor's daughter, <laughs> trying to make our moves, and she latched onto you. <laughs> she, he, he was the governor then already. He was the governor. It wasn't yeah, like who, later who he later became. went to prison. Yes. <laughs> but he was Governor Kerner back in when I was a counselor in junior high nice. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, my recollection was, you know, we would, whether we hiked to town or we were re- rewarded with uh, a trip to town, you know, movies. You know, movies was the was the big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zimmerman's Zimmerman's was the milkshake. Was the the soda shop that yeah. we would go to. Z- uh, Zimpleman's. Zimpleman's. That's yeah. it. Zimpleman's. And um, you know, we just walk up and down the street like we were big shots wearing our Campo Jibla t-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> thinking, awesome. Thinking we own the town. You know, compared yeah. to living in Chicago. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think about that. Yeah. So then your camper days come to an end, and you come back as a, as a junior counselor right away? Junior counselor, yes. And those days, you still got to play in the leagues. We did. I got to play softball. Yep, I got to play softball in the watermelon league. But you had to wait the tables. Yeah. But was, I, <laughs> so what was that whole experience like? Well, now, the, you know, the shift, like I said, I it was my first job ever. <laughs> there you go. I had never worked anywhere. I mean, I didn't get paid. My recollection was it was free. You know, it was free labor as a junior counselor because yes. you're basically a counselor in training. <laughs> and, um, you know, again, I had, you know, I had kind of a ball buster head counselor, you know, who wasn't going to take anything, you know, no slacking off for anything. So anytime I was like not doing what I was supposed to be doing, you know, Dennis was in my face, mm. you know, and, 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 and he always had, you know, it's like, you know, there would be jobs that were maybe not as much fun as the other jobs so you would wind up like having to do the laundry bags you know picking up everybody's oh. laundry bags and and doing that was one of the jobs i really disliked a lot yeah. 
if I was out of favor, you know, <laughs> I wasn't waiting tables properly, right? Or I, or my cabin, you know, I I messed up somewhere where, you know, something, you know, there it was, you know, I was going to get one of the shit jobs, you know, Dennis was. It was very uh, quid pro quo. Yes, <laughs> I've heard he had a list. <laughs> yes, and I haven't said that. I was I was also a really good camper, and so I was a really good junior counselor. And there were plenty of times that I was on the list of like, okay, Lebo, you know, you're off. You're you're. We got you covered. Nice. You know, so Dennis treated me both ways, but I did learn like, okay, you know, what you're supposed to do if you're if you're an employee. Right. You know, it's like, hey. This is a privilege for you to be here. That's the way he presented it to me. This is a privilege that you have this opportunity to become a counselor. So don't blow it. Nice. You know, just because you think you were a hotshot as a camper doesn't mean crap <laughs> when it comes to you know, taking care of somebody else's kids. That's so true. Yeah. That is it. Right. Yeah. What about that aspect of it? Like suddenly you have, uh, well, what I, cabin were you in first of all? Yeah. So that's, if you remember. Uh, you know, I was trying to think about that because um, I was a counselor in cabin four when I came back. My junior counseling, I sort of remember being like, uh, we really have to do a little research because I'm, I, I, I'm surprised I have a mental blank on the junior counselor cabin that I was in. Mm-hmm. And yet, um, you know what? I think I was, in, I was a junior counselor in cabin 11 with Louis Schwartz. That's what I sort of remember. Okay. And I don't, and, and uh, I'd have to ask Louis who the counselor was at cabin 11. But I, Oh, and I had Barry, uh, did I have Barry, no, Barry Feldman was in 12, but Ken Groffy was in 11, I think. Junior counseling was a blast. Yeah. You know, getting the nights off and going wherever you wanted to go. You know, I was uh, either, I was either doing tennis, you know, I was the tennis guy, and I used to bother Dennis about that all the time. It's like, can't you give me a day off in tennis? It's not as much fun to teach tennis <laughs> as it is to go teach softball. You right. Know, let me teach volleyball. You know, I anything. Teach any of these. <laughs> I can do any of these things. Let me do. So every once in a while, you give me a day off. But the tennis <laughs> I was the tennis guy, so that was that. Nice. Yeah. And then, so you do the junior counseling. Now you don't. You didn't win the week. Did you get to coach the week though? When you were a junior counselor, I did. I did get to coach the week, um, and I coached with Mike Bagan, who I think may be one of the principals there. Might yeah. Be one of the silent partners. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it was a fun. It was a fun deal. It was definitely a fun yeah. Deal. Mike's a lot of fun, and yeah, Mike was a great guy. As, Mike was Mike uh, was my coach. I do remember Notre Dame. That was the year I was. Well, he was he was the he had the number one pick in the in collegiate. Ah. In fact, one of the trivia questions I always tell I always ask people that went to camp in my era. Nobody gets it. Is so who's probably the only camper? Okay, that was the second person picked in collegiate week three years in a row. Three years in a row, Louis Schwartz, who was clearly the best athlete for probably five years in a row, <laughs> okay, but he was picked second. The guy, whoever had the first pick, just wouldn't take Louis because wow. he, he didn't see Louis as, as as the winner. Huh? You know, it was just kind of like Louis will slack off because he was such a great athlete. They 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 were they were always looking for the guy that was going to give them everything they had. Right. And everything came natural. That makes to sense. Louis, whereas you know he could. Spin circles around me, huh. forever. and Joel Karansky and Hank Karansky were picked ahead of him. You know, the other two years, and Louis was again. By, he was one of those guys that could hit the ball over the mess hall every time. Wow! Every time, or it would be on the beach every time. Wow! We're talking about a fourteen-year-old. 
Yeah. Right. I was going to say, I mean, I, I yeah, talked to both the Kranskys, and we talked about some of the athletic feats of that era. And, yeah, yeah. Louis, and, well, yeah. I, yeah. Did Louis go out and play sports? I played high school ball at Roosevelt, and he was an all-city, you know, all-city player. Um, where he went to college, I don't recall. Hmm. Yeah, but he was a, he was a gifted athlete, as were the Kranskys. Sure. I mean, Joel was my, Joel was my cabin mate. Okay. And Joel came up... Uh, Kevin Six, when I was in Kevin Six, and he and I went together all the way through, became a junior counselor the year before me. Mm. Yeah, the year before me. And then Hank, of course, we looked up to. I mean, Hank was like, right. God. <laughs> so. Yeah, those guys were great. I had not met them before we sat down together, and they were fantastic. Yeah. They, they came to camp together I just uh, for a visit, and yeah. so I caught them up there, and I was like, guys, give me just like yeah. half an hour each. It'll be yeah, amazing. Yeah, they're, they're great guys. Yeah. I'm, sure they're, yeah, I'm sure they're great. I don't know. I, I've lost touch with them I probably need to get Bert Gutterman to get in touch with the Karanskis. Put all the pieces together. and Yeah, for sure. So then you so you take a couple years off. Um, yeah, you're, now you're in college and, and, and probably. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't understand how, I, when I look back, I was thinking about this as I knew you were coming. I can't imagine why I would miss camp in 67 and 68. I know it was the 60s. Sure. You know, I, was a, I was a pseudo hippie. You know, University of Wisconsin was a liberal hotbed. And so, yeah, for sure. You know, I was kind of a, you know, anti-Vietnam kind of, you know, liberal kind of guy. Yeah. And I don't know why Camp Ojibwa would not have fit into my window. It clearly wasn't like, I'm not going back to camp. Right. So I don't know, other than maybe 67 and 68, it was like, well, maybe I should get a real job. Yeah, yeah that, I mean that. A lot of guys from that period. That's the thing they say. They're like, "Well, I, I thought I should get a real job. I thought I should make a little money, and then now I regret." Oh, total, th- that trade because I would and have plenty of jobs in my life. That's right. <laughs> so you know, and so in '69, um, it was a no-brainer for me to just say, "Well, you know, this is like stupid. I'm going back to camp." Nice. You know, and I think for government, it continued to go '67, '68. It was, it was an incentive for me to continue to do that. Yeah. So. And that was an awesome year, you know. That was an awesome year. I, you know, I remember going to the, I remember going to the uh, counselor's lodge to watch Neil Armstrong land on the moon. That was wow. The, yeah, '69 was the year. Yeah, that of the course. Council independent, and I'm sure that's that's folklore. At, at, sure. I'm sure it's folklore at Camp Ojibwa that you know Leo DeRocher came up to camp. Absolutely. <laughs> but the, the, I, I remember the, the from the from the parking lot all the way up to the office. <laughs> Just kids lined up because the entire camp were Cub fans. Of course, you know, lined up <laughs> waiting for Leo. You know, as we were in '69, so I was a counselor. I'm watching Game of the Week on on, on a Saturday afternoon broadcast, mm-hmm. you know, taking a break from Parents Weekend, and um, you know, and it was uh, what was the guy? Was it Joe Garagiola, who was the who was the, and Tony Kubek were the announcers at the time, and they uh, and they were. Well, Leo DeRocher is taken sick and he's left the game. You know, he's he's ill. <laughs> it's incredible. It's yeah, such an incredible yeah, story. Yeah, really. <laughs> and I didn't, you know, the moon landing is something we haven't really talked about, but I'm sure, I mean, I, I can only imagine that every staff guy was just in the lodge and oh, yeah. huddled around the I TV. Mean, I mean, as much as we could be. You yeah. Know, you had to have some sort of decorum out of the campground. Right. Anybody <laughs> could get there. You know, we took our turns to. Wow. There and catch a glimpse of it. There was a major uh, solar eclipse, you know, that was occurring, mm. and I remember everybody was all, you know, into that. And, yeah, you know. I was trying to think. I in my time there, the only thing that's come close to that, and it was 
it was so huge at the time and ridiculous is um, when LeBron James made the decision and had uh, the decision special. That would be and a big deal. We were, yeah. we were already broadcasting the audio all, all over the speakers at camp so the kids could hear it. But every staff guy is in, yeah. the, is in the lunch. And, like, there's a period assigned. Like, yeah. sports are supposed to have started. Yeah. No one is anywhere but inside. Yeah. And uh, I was the one who had to go in and be like, you guys got to go. You got to go. And no, 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 no. And I turned off the TV. Well, and I literally cool. almost got beaten up. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, fine, you win, and turned it back on. Yeah, that was a magical. That was a magical year for me because while LeBron, of course, I'm in Dallas, Texas. Right. I've been a Dallas Maverick fan. I, I had season tickets since they actually the Dallas Mavericks and Mark Lieberman moved to Dallas the same day. Oh, wow! The day I moved to Dallas is the day that the Dallas Mavericks announced that there would be a franchise. Nice. Like Norm Sanjuk was was moving from the Clippers and had put together an organization. So I had a long history. Uh, financial financial advisor for the Mavericks for a long time, and Dirk uh, Dirk was a, a client of mine for many many years for nine well just all the way up until now as a nineteen year old kid. So I have a relationship with nice. with Dirk. Yeah. So when LeBron was making his decision, <laughs> Dirk was his contract was up at the same time. Mm. You know, and Dirk was making the decision of whether or not to stay with the Mavericks or not, and. Um, you know, and what took place there was while LeBron was doing his thing, you know, Donnie Nelson and Mark Cuban were talking to, I was privy to this information, were, were talking to Dirk about staying. And as you could imagine, Mark Cuban was saying, listen, Dirk, you know, we've been in the same boat forever. Right. Okay. And, and we're tied at the hip. I have no problem maxing you out on a contract if that's what you want me to do. You know, it comes out to, it came out to um, 20, 24 million a year for four years, $96 million. He said, but if you'll leave me some money on the table, you know, I think Donnie's got a plan to win us a championship. And, you know, Dirk's kind of like, I'm listening, because he'd been here 10 years, was from 98 to 08. Okay. To 2000. Actually, it was, he was here longer. It was 08, it was 98 to 2010. Mm. Okay, so he had had his first rookie contract and a 10-year contract, and now he had been there 13 years, and it's like, okay, I'm listening, because I don't really want to leave Dallas anyway. Right. Put to get, you know, what do we got? So Donnie Nelson says, well, we're going to, we're going to, if you leave us the money, leave us enough money, and, and we can, we're going to sign Tyson Chandler and Karan Butler. And Dirk says... And what else? And and they said that's it. And he says, I don't know. He says, you know, Kobe's got Pau Gasol. <laughs> and, and, you know, he's got like these guys, and Duncan's got you know Parker and Ginobili. Right. And, and now and now LeBron has gone and signed with Wade. And you think that I can win with Tyson Chandler? And and, <laughs> and they said, well, you do have Sean Marion and Jason Kidd. Sure. And, yeah, but. You know, they weren't good enough last year to win it. Right. And so... Get some you know, age at, on those tires. <laughs> yeah, at, the other, at the end of the day, Dirk is kind of shaking his head and turns to the mother hen who takes care of all of his needs on everything. So I don't know, Lisa, what do you think? She says, I think you should sign the contract, Dirk. And Dirk went ahead and signed the contract, and uh, we went ahead and won a championship, yeah. beating LeBron, which was maybe the highlight of my NBA career. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah, so that was a big day when LeBron did his thing, and it, and it, and it is interesting to see how he went from such a, a disliked guy to all of a sudden he went to being a really liked guy by going back to yeah. Cleveland. So, 
Yeah, I was uh, I was a ba- I was a fan like you know late high school LeBron fan, and so I loved that he was in Cleveland. I, I became a big Cavs fan. Yeah. I'm like I'm all in. Then he leaves, and I'm like, oh, come on yeah. guys, it's just a pro wrestling movie. He's just being a heel. Come on. Yeah. So when he came back, that was a little. Yeah. So, you know, this is an interesting year. If you, I don't know if if, you, if they'll stay healthy. Yeah. And I know everybody's all over Golden State. I personally think that they can probably give. I mean, Golden State doesn't slow down. Nobody's gonna. Nobody's gonna well, right. beat them. But it's a long season, and the playoffs are a little different. And defense does matter. Mm-hmm. And uh, my feeling is the way the NBA usually works is, if Cleveland will stay healthy, I think the NBA would like to see a rubber match. So like Cleveland Certainly. beat Golden State in seven. Set it up for the following year. Yeah, for it's sure. But a lot of money, <laughs> right? And it wouldn't hurt to let OKC kind of take give a few punches to Golden State on the way in, and or maybe yeah. the Spurs, whichever. Yeah. You know, OKC reminds me of the Mavericks. You know, yeah. they're always like they're good enough, but what what went wrong? Right. So many good pieces and just in the wrong. Yeah, yeah. the Spurs are awesome. I mean, I've been very yeah. close to that. That's, that's a, a huge, unbelievable team. Unbelievable team. Tim Duncan. Yeah. We had Dirk. They had Tim. We had Duncan. Nice. Um, so going back to camp. Yep. Uh, no, it's okay. It was yep. a good, a good diversion. So just talk about. So you go back and then you just did one more year as a counselor. Came back as a senior counselor that one year. Yeah. And then I graduated college and I got married. Had I not gotten married, I probably would have been back to camp. Sure. <laughs> but I got married when I got out of college. So and in fact, I do remember my senior. You're just reminding me that was a big deal. My 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 what became my wife and. My girlfriend in college at the time, she came up and visited. Oh, wow. You know, so that was a big deal because everybody and I had a pretty looking blonde that showed up right. at camp. <laughs> and I, of course, couldn't help but maybe bend the rules a little bit to find a way to <laughs> see what life, what life looked like on camp. It was a lot harder back in those days it to get It was a lot harder to until after hours to kind of like sneak yeah. around, you know. And people don't, I mean, anyone outside the, the Ojibwe world, it, you can't understand what it's like, the pressure of bringing a girl to camp. Because she's got, I mean, you you know what you're doing yeah. when you bring that girl to camp. Yeah. I mean, you are committing to her in front of everyone there and all of their judgment. <laughs> yeah, it was just not, it was just not yeah. even fathomable. Yeah. I mean, you know, we didn't go any further than Sandy and Reba. Right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, so, you, so you have that last year as a counselor. Uh, any great memories? Any? Did you know it was going to be the end? No, I didn't know it was going to be the end. I had, I had, uh, you know, again, the Karanskis were there: Gary Greenberg, Bert Gutterman, Larry Heyman. I mean, all of my best, closest friends were counselors with me. So every day was a fun day. Yeah. You know, every day was a fun day. Collegiate week was good. I finished third. You know, and um, and Kenny Bacon, Mike's brother, was my first pick. Is sort of. And, um, um, yeah, you know, uh, just great memories, you know, just really pleasant, warm and fuzzy. Yeah. You said you thought maybe you had visited once, but you didn't do post-camp or anything like that along no, the way? I didn't. Just... And I'm getting ready, um, I, you know, now that I've talked my daughter into sending my grandson, you know, she's saying, well, you're coming to family camp, aren't you? So I probably will get that information from you before you... Very nice. <laughs> Very nice. Post-camp is where it's at. It's a lot yeah. of fun. Yeah. And I've never done... I, all my years, I've never did post-camp. So I'll yeah. look, I'm going to look forward to that. That's great. So just to put a cap on things, there's a couple things I like to ask at the end. So I always ask if you have one or two great little camp stories. I would say, and it's funny because this is a good friend of mine now, um, a guy named Art Evans, 
went to camp for a number of years. Um, and I was uh, just becoming the, my, the tennis legend at the time, you know, where I was getting invited up. It was like maybe the first year that Pearl and, and Molly were inviting me out at Respiri. Sure. And so uh, we got to the ladder tournament and I'm playing the championship match, you know, to win the ladder tournament. And so I'm playing art. And so we go out, you know, we go out um, to play like at four o'clock or five o'clock after activities, you know, during general swim to go play it. And um, he tells the story to this day. He says, so, so what does he, what does Levo do, you know, to put things, you know, in his favor, you know, to wave it, the way the match, he invites the entire cabin to come watch. And, says, <laughs> and if that wasn't bad enough, he invites Pearl to come watch. <laughs> so Pearl comes out with her and puts her chair down, sits in the middle, in the middle of the court, and Art's sitting there while the, the entire little crowd, <laughs> the, the peanut gallery that Levo is has put together is you know cheering him on. Oh, that's <laughs> rough. He said, I, yeah, he said. I, he, he said even if I thought I could beat him, there was a zero chance of beating him. <laughs> so actually, you know, my second year at camp, 1957. It's like one of the few times I'm up on the board. You know, nice. Other, I'm up on the board a lot for drama, but I don't get up on the board for winning leagues. A lot. Right. And so, and I thought, you know, it's kind of like Dan Marino. It's like, well, it's my second year at camp, and I've already won. Won the Peach League, and 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 the cool part about that was the counselor, that this guy's name again, he was a one and done guy. I think his name was Bob Rodonis. Um, but he used to keep our batting averages. Okay. Oh, so he very had cool. Like yeah, so he picked the team, and the team was the Badgers, which I'm happy to say. Um, and uh, he kept batting averages, and as an eight year old on this Peach League team, you know, I led the team in batting. You know, which I thought was really pretty cool since I was like maybe the third or fourth or fifth pick. Yeah, you know, for second sure. Second baseman, like who was I? <laughs> you know, but I led, the t- I led the team in hitting and I obviously never forgot that to this day. So uh, that was a memorable times. But, you know, there was so much, there was so much fun. Just to wrap up the last thing then, and we've touched on this a little bit, but just to sort of put it in a, in a concise box, you're a grown up now. And uh, camp was long ago, and you've had a long life. How would you say that life was affected by you going to Camp Ojibwa? In, in everything I do, because I, I, you know, I'm a financial advisor, and I, you know, it's funny. I, I think that people trust me with their money to invest their money because they know what my personality is. They know that that you know that they know that I'm the, I'm a winner. I'm there to win. You know that I. That's I've got their interests at heart. You know, I put them ahead of me. I think camp taught me a lot about how to uh, how to relate to people and get along with people, and uh, I think that that's why people do trust me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the you know it, it gives me the instincts that I need to to do my job this day. Al Schwartz, you know, uh, his mark on my life. You know, that's that's who I when I think about being. A, I've got four children. Um, you know, we come from a his, hers, and ours family. But whenever I'm relating to any of my four children, you know, the first person that, obviously my father is the first person that I think of is how would dad handle this situation. Sure. You know, but clearly Al Schwartz is, you know, heavily in my brain for those kinds of things. Whenever I had to coach them, growing, coaching all my kids growing mm-hmm. up, you know, Dennis Rosen, you know, was heavy, heavy influence on how is a coach supposed to be? Yeah. You know, how, how is he supposed to be? And, 
you know, and I do remember at camp during those heavy competitive times, you know, some of the counselors yelling at their kids and screaming at them and I was thinking, God, that's no way to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a, I have a, uh, my daughter was a state champion, university, uh, state, uh, state of Texas high school tennis champ, mm-hmm. you know, but, and, and I started her out at a very early age. I, I didn't mean to, my son couldn't hit a baseball. And it turned out that my three-year-old daughter was like swinging and hitting the ball. That's how that shot to her. You know, she she seems to have my instincts, and yeah. you know, from there took off and became a, an outstanding athlete, and wound up playing college tennis at the. But I gave I I turned that over to the professionals and the experts. You know, at a very early age, I said, I don't want I want to be the dad. You know, I don't want to be I don't want to be what it's going to take for her to be. You know, yeah, the coach. So I always balanced. You know, my my heavy com- competitiveness, you know, to say, you know, it's, it, it isn't, winning isn't the only thing, you know, it's hot, it's, you've got to have some balance, and, uh, and I, and I attribute that all to, uh, so much of it to Camp Ojibwe, you know, just tons and tons of stuff that I've learned. That's it, awesome. Yeah. All right, I think that's it. All right, well, thank, thank you so much for the time, this is awesome. Time. Yeah, thanks for coming out. Okay, that is it. Another one in the books. Mark Lieberman. Great time talking with this guy. He was incredible. Uh, beautiful house. Had me over. Wonderful times. As always, if you want to get in touch with the Camp Ojibwe History Podcast, you know how. Drop me an email, Christopher at CampOjibwehistory.org, or swing by the website. You may have some questions about the new structure for the podcast releases. As a bonus, with the next week's classic episode, we're also going to be releasing the 70s and 80s warriors to the website. So those will be updated through the 80s with a couple missing years, but basically through the 80s by next week. So look forward to that. That's about it. It's a beautiful day here in Paris, Kentucky. If you listen real closely, you might hear someone mowing their yard in the background of this audio. What are you going to do? Thanks for listening. Next week, classic episode. Following week, 50th episode, huge episode, special guest. Can't wait for it. Can't believe we've been going this long. That's it, guys. It's time for a cigar. Oh.